gosh, now I broke the lectern. Um, golly. Yeah, <laughs> we can't have nice things. Um, if I use the pulpit, I would trip over it is the problem. You've all seen it happen. Um, all right, so uh, let's pray in uh, preparation for the message this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with me. Help me to be faithful to, to your word. Help me to, um, help me to unpack your gospel, unpack the treasury that is your scriptures. And, and I pray that you'd be with folks here today. Help them to hear from you and to, to know you more just from hearing the word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, most of y'all are aware, I, uh, I just got back from traveling. I, uh, I was in Israel and Jordan for, for a couple, of, couple and a half weeks. And um, I, I wanted to talk about it, and I, I actually wanted to continue in my sermon series on uh, Sabbath, and, and I'm going to try and split the difference here. And, and actually, I, I, where I wanted to start out this morning, um, I, how many of y'all have traveled for weeks on end, like ever been away from home for... How, I, I got this point in me where at about a week, you know, to 10 days where I sort of hit the amount of time I want to travel... And, and then I'm done. Is, is that unique to me? Um, where, you know, all right, well, you know, the sunsets here are pretty, but they're not as pretty as the one in Montana. I want to go home. You know, <laughs> or, or, you know, I really, Denver, most of y'all met Denver when he was out for my ordination. I, he was my roommate the whole week, and I, I enjoyed Denver's company, but, but not as much as I enjoy my wife's company. And so <laughs> there was sort of this tipping point where it's like, yeah, I, I'm ready to. And, and then, like, at that tipping point, it's easy to get really agitated. I don't know, is that just me? You know, and you start getting grumpy and cranky. And and I I, I hit this point. We had just gone into Nazareth, or not Nazareth, uh, Galilee. And, and we were staying in this hotel on, on the Sea of Galilee. And and uh, the, the Wi-Fi there was terrible, so I couldn't even, like, call home. And I was just in a really poor mood. And I, I remember I went for a walk and spent some time praying. And the next morning I spent some time praying. And... And the first thing that we did, we loaded into this bus and we went out and we, we got in a boat and we went across the Sea of Galilee. And, and uh, um, between praying and, and what we heard and sort of some time of reflection, I, I, I got some, some worthwhile stuff to share. And that's where I'm going to start this morning. Um, there's an account in Mark chapter 4. Um, we're actually going to skip some of this background stuff. We're, we are talking about Sabbath this morning. We'll get there. Don't worry. Um, Sabbath is basically the day of rest that the Jews observed on Saturday, the seventh day of the week. Um, we don't generally observe that as Christians. Um, we're going to be in the book of Mark this morning. Mark, actually Mark is a fun book. There are four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the same story from a different perspective. And so like Matthew is like the, the book, the Gospel for Jewish people. You know, and so if you were a first century Jew, the book of Matthew would be your book. Or if you were a member of the diaspora, like the Jewish people spread all over the world, the book of John would be your book. Um, Mark is kind of the action book. Mark is always about going somewhere and doing something, and it sort of explains the story of Jesus in motion. Um, it's basically Peter's account of Jesus' life. Um, Mark kind of was Peter's secretary and took notes. And um, so what we have is Mark's, like, copying down Peter's preaching notes. And so that's, that's what we're in. Um, Peter was there for this, uh, and, and that's kind of a huge component here. Um, but what's going on is they're crossing. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has been teaching for several, 
like for, for several days at least. But um, this day he's taught all day. There's so many people there that he got into a boat and they went off ashore and they taught, he taught from the boat because they were pushing him, right? Like there's so many people there. And I, I know it doesn't look like preaching is a lot of work, um, but it actually is a little more tiring than you'd think. Um, and, and I'm guessing, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm guessing by the end of the day he's, he's exhausted, right? And actually we see that over and over again in the story of uh, Jesus' ministry where he would heal and teach and preach and argue and, you know, and at the end of the day he'd break away and he'd go off and he'd be by himself for a few hours to pray and spend time with God. Or he'd, you know, get away and he'd rest for a little while before coming back. I mean, Jesus was, was a man who took breaks. And so he's been teaching all day and he teaches the parable of the sower and he teaches just all these different things. And actually, I wasn't going to include it, but I feel like it's worth um, – touching on uh, right before the end of this teaching here where he's about to, they're about to jump out on the boat. Actually, they're on the boat, but they're going to go sailing on the boat, um, is the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, and he said to them, um, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God and what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Um, with, many of, excuse me, with many such parables, he spoke the word, of, the word to them, and they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his disciples he explained everything. Um, now, the parable of the mustard seed, we see it in several spots in the Gospels, and a lot of times he talks about faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, right? You know, it grows into this great big thing. And that's important because this is a story about faith. Um, we proceed... This is uh, Mark 4.35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, the Sea of Galilee is um, not a sea in the sense of the Mediterranean Sea where it's absolutely enormous, right? The Sea of Galilee is like 12 miles bottom to top and maybe like six miles from side to side. In this instance, we know that he was going to the south end of the lake because um, he goes to, like, the Gennesaret area, which is, you know, he gets down there and, like, there's a man who's demon-possessed and he casts the demon out of it into pigs. Well, pigs, like most Jewish folks, didn't raise pigs because they're unclean. And so, like, he was going from wherever he was to a Gentile area, which is, like, the south. And so, like, you can sort of deduce, like, he went to the south. Um, from probably the north, he did a lot of his teaching up on the north end, like in, in sort of the top of the lake. And so this is a long boat trip, 12 miles, right, in the dark. Um, I don't know, most of you all have spent time in Montana at night. Like, dark is dark here, right? I mean, it's not like living in Chicago where, you know, at nighttime, like, it's not that dark. I mean, it is pitch black. They're out on the water. They're heading across, and, um, and it's not a short trip. Uh, about 12 miles. Um, and leaving the crowd, they took him, they took with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. So, like, they set out in their boat, and they, like, all the other boats in the area, they decide to follow. So, this is a large crowd of people. It's probably the 12 disciples in the one boat. And then you probably have a bunch of, like, other folks following along. So, they have a small fleet of fishing boats, and everybody had them, right? Because they're all fishermen. Um, and I wanted to offer some scale here. And I saw one of these boats when we were in Galilee um, about 
25 years ago, there was some fishermen who were out, and they discovered the top end of a boat. And it was excavated over the course of about three months. And then, like, from that point, it took about 10 years for them to prepare to display. But there's actually a museum there where you can go and see one of these first century boats, right? And, and there's not much left to it, but I took a picture. Um, this thing is, it, there's not much to it after, like, 2,000 years of sitting in the mud, right? Which, in that way, Israel's a lot like Montana. You could easily bury your vehicle in the mud and never find it again. Um, but the boat itself is like from here to the wall. It's not big, right? And if you look at it, it doesn't look really significant. I actually took a selfie with it for scale. Um, it, it's just not that big. And in fact, it's so small that they had to ballast it. Most of these boats would have a giant sandbag in one end, and that giant sandbag would be there to keep the boat from just tossing over because it was so little, it just it just couldn't. You know, it couldn't float on its own. You know, I ever, I'm sure when you were a little kid, you'd put a boat in the bathtub and it wouldn't sit upright because there was no weight in the bottom. These are tiny. Um, I, a more realistic, like, like depiction of it or a more current depiction. Um, generally, you had a sail, a couple of oars, but they were tiny, a tiny little boat. Um, my diagram up there listed as 26 feet for the average, just not big, right? So they're out on this boat crossing the 12-mile expanse of the, the lake, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat was already filling. So you're in this relatively little boat, and a great storm sets in. Now, the Sea of Galilee is in a bowl, right? In fact, the whole country is one long bowl. You have mountains on one side, and those mountains sort of curve around, and then they go down the other side, and there's just a big depression right down the middle. And you have the Sea of Galilee, and then down the way you have the Dead Sea, which is like the lowest point. Uh, in the region, it's absolutely at the bottom. Um, the the like very low down and very like different climate. If you go up in the hills, it's very dry, right? And it's a lot cooler. It's a little like going up into the Bear Paws. You know, if you go up to to what's the park? She yeah to Sheehy Park or to to the state park up there. You go up there and it's generally colder, right? I mean, it's, it's 15, 20 degrees colder. Um, it's much drier in the hills around, whereas, you know, I took photos from this, we, this boat trip. There are hills everywhere. It is just sitting surrounded by hills. Um, and what happens is, um, as you're, the much colder, drier air um, will sort of shift in. I don't know if you can see it, but there's kind of a mist. You couldn't see the shoreline all the way around because it's humid there. And it's generally fairly humid off of the lake. And so that wet... I sound like a weatherman now, right? This wet, dry air, or the wet, 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 cold, warm air mixes with this cold air coming off the hills. And, and I watched this happen where you would be there and, and it would be kind of, you know, I remember I woke up and it was a thunderstorm and it sounded like the world was ending. And I got out of bed, I put on some clothes, I walked out across the way, and by the time I had reached the other side of the parking lot, it was clear. I mean, storms will hit like that and then go away. I mean, it's really common. And the other thing, here's, I actually have a topographical map of how, like, down there, um, storms can get stuck in there. I mean, but the weather can be very, very unpredictable. Um, and the Sea of Galilee is about 200 feet deep at the deepest point. So since it's so shallow, what will happen is once the wind gets going, the water really gets going, 
right? And it, it, we watch this happen where you're, you're out there and it looks fairly calm and fairly nice, like you might want to go swimming, and then a rainstorm kicks in, like in 30 minutes later you're looking at it and thinking, that's a death trap. I mean, it, it is a dramatic shift. And so, as we read, the disciples are out there, they're on this water, and this weather change happens. And all of a sudden they've gone from like smooth sailing to it's the end of the world. And there's water coming in their boat, and they're all going to drown, and like they're terrified. Now, mind you, these are guys who lived on boats, right? I mean, they're fishermen. This is what they do for a living. These are experts. And they're looking around, and they're saying, oh, my gosh, we're going to die. Um, and they probably know what they're talking about, right? We'd say that's a pretty fair assessment. Um, they know they're in a lot of trouble. They know they're likely to drown. They know that, that this is not a situation they want to be in. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? There's a couple of funny things that happen right here. First off, it's a boat full of sailors, and they wake up the carpenter for help in the storm. <laughs> like, does that make, I mean, like these guys are, you know, they're asking the least qualified guy in the room for help, Right. It doesn't make any sense. Um, he's sleeping on the cushion. It's not a cushion. That's the ballast. He fell asleep on the ballast. And it would be easy to do. Like, we were out in this, this sea, and they shut off the engine and let the boat sit for a little while. And it is downright pleasant when it's not raining, right? I mean, it, it shifts, and it's very gentle, and the sound of lapping water. And I'm guessing Jesus is tired, and being tired, he's made the decision it's time to take a nap. And he takes this nap, and then the end of the world happens. And the disciples are panicking. And they wake him up like, help, 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 we're going to drown, carpenter. Come help us. I don't, again, I'm not sure what they thought was going to happen at this point. Um, but there's an irony here, too. Do you not care that we're dying? Like, don't you care that we're about to drown? Like, they're kind of annoyed with him, right? Anybody ever get this way? Like, where things are, are kind of not working out well, and we back up and we turn to God and say, God, do you even care how bad things are going for me right now? Anybody? All right, thank you. I'm glad there are at least a few people. God, do you even care that the boat is about to tip over? Are you sleeping or something? Come on, you know, get some service here. Um, they, they wake him up, and, and Jesus is not concerned. Um, there's sort of an irony here because a little later on in the same gospel we get in Mark, actually, I even quoted it. Check this out. Um, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Jesus is about to be arrested and he's praying and he tells the, the disciples, hey, watch with me. Spend time praying like you, you need to pray because there's, there's a trial coming. And he came and he found them sleeping. He said to P Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Do you not, can you not watch one hour? Um, and then a little later on, he goes back and he prays some more, and he came and found them, uh, found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer, what to answer him. And he came a third time, and he said to them, You are still sleeping and taking your rest. It is enough that the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us, excuse me, let us be going. Our betrayer is at hand. Um, which is this, there's irony there, right? Like the disciples, when it's important, they sleep. And, and Jesus, when Jesus is asleep, they panicked. You know, the, the, Mark is very clever. I think he did this on purpose. But it is a weird reality. Like there are times 
when it's God's deal and we can't seem to get ourselves together. There are other times when we're panicked and God's completely in control, and, and yet we worry and we panic and we worry and we think, God, where are you? Why aren't you saving me? Um, and he awoke and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So they wake him up. He sits up, and he's like, Be quiet. And the storm stops. Now, in the, in the original text, like the primary purpose of Mark including this, or Peter preaching it, is to demonstrate for us that Jesus is in control, right? For the first century Jewish folks, they saw storms as sort of a place where good and evil clashed, right? Um, whenever you read about seas or the bottom of the ocean or depths of water or water in general in the Old Testament, it's usually a symbol of like death or dying or hell or chaos or or what have you like it is it is a symbol of destruction and so storms are sort of associated with god's conflict with good and evil and the early jews believed that this was a thing and so that jesus is able to sit up and say all right stop and the storm stops like he's got power right like actually power that's according to first century jews is like reserved for the divine like only only God could do that. Um, after this, he casts a demon out of casts a legion of demons out of a man. Right? It's another thing that only God could really do. Um, and then actually, he raises a girl from the dead. It's another thing that really only God could do. Right? And so this whole series of stories is a series of stories about um, about Jesus's power over the world around him, over his control or his ability to command, his authority. Um, so Jesus sleeps. Because he knows he has authority. I'm, I'm guessing he was aware there was a storm, but he slept. Um, because for Jesus, it wasn't a concern, right? He wasn't worried about drowning. He didn't come there to drown. He wasn't planning on drowning. It was not in the cards. He knew it wasn't going to happen, so he rested. And during the time when it was time to rest, he rested. Um, they saw it as indifference, and in reality, he was at peace with it. It's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, there's a great line in Psalms. It is so small print, I'll do my best, but it's almost like it parallels, and I think, that, I think that's on purpose. I think the Old Testament sometimes echoes. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths. Their courage meted, or melted away. In their evil plight, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for this steadfast love, for his wondrous works uh, to the children of man, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Um, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, there's about a thousand years difference between the writing, but it almost could be about that. Um, literally, what the psalmist is talking about is there are times we face chaos and God is in control and God delivers. Right. And God is always capable of delivering like we can lean on him and trust him in times of chaos. And actually, Jesus's response, he turns to the disciples and he said, he said to them, why, why, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They've seen him perform miracles. They've seen him like do great things. They've seen that he is something special. And yet they assume that he's going to drown with them. Right. And Jesus's response is, hey, I'm in the boat. I wasn't going to drown like 
can't you people trust me and let me take a nap? Can't you people let me be in control? But that's, I mean, we end up there sometimes, don't we? Where it just seems like the world is so doggone chaotic and everything is falling apart and we back up and we panic and we forget that, like, oh, yeah, Jesus has it. Um, I can think back to times in my life where I thought everything was going to completely disintegrate and I was going to end up destitute and homeless and my family was going to leave me and it would be the biggest disaster ever. And then, like, a month later, it was over and it was like it never happened and it wasn't that big a deal. Um, And God saw me through it. Anybody experience that? Um, The reality is, the reality is that we face these moments and like we forget that God is there. We forget that God's in control. We forget that he's watching over us. We forget that he's taking care of us. And instead of trusting in him, we worry, right? And then we worry some more. And that worry becomes like this giant snowball because it's so easy to not trust God in difficult moments. I think that this counts like as well in our spiritual life. Um, the primary mission that Jesus brings to the world, like Jesus came to the world so that we could know God personally, but a big chunk of this is also so that he could live this perfect life, so he could die on the cross, be punished for our sins, right? So that anybody who has faith in him is forgiven, um, like so that we can be made pure and righteous and whole and good, not by our own effort, but by Jesus dying for us. Um, We're made acceptable to God by his work, But, man, isn't it easy to sit around and, like, beat yourself up about stuff? Anybody live in that world where every little sin that you commit is something that you drag up every night when you go to bed and lay there and can't sleep? You think, man, why did I say that stupid thing? Man, I really blew it in this part of my life. Man, I am such a worthless such and such. I mean, we we do that. It's so easy to do. But in reality, just like, I mean, honestly, just like the... The obvious storms in life, the money problems, the, the family problems, the depression, the, all of this stuff, just like all of those storms, like Jesus has that, but he also has our salvation. And sometimes we hold ourselves to a higher standard, like where God forgives us and we don't. Um, and in reality, like, like this faith that they didn't have then is faith that applies elsewhere. Um, it's like the faith of the mustard seed, right? They don't have enough to give them shade and comfort in this moment because... Because they don't have anything. Um, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Um, There's an irony there. They go from being afraid of the storm to being afraid of Jesus. (laughs) I mean, it's like they're like the keystone cops of religion. I mean, they're constantly messing up and confused you know well god's in control now we're afraid of him like oh my gosh but it's a different kind of fear it's not a fear of oh we're going to drown oh we're going to die it's oh who is this guy and what should we be doing in relation to him how should we take him seriously and that is the kind of fear we ought to approach god with um it's so easy to take god lightly um it's so easy to forget who he is. It's so easy, honestly, and I think that's why it's easy to forget in the storms, oh my gosh, we're going to drown. You know, oh my gosh, God isn't going to save me, and then he does. Oh, well, I guess he was gone all along, and, and we lack faith. Um, chaos that exists in the world around us is a product of corruption, right? Like the world has fallen because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve, because we sin, because sin exists. Like the world is sort of in this slow rate of decay and so we see 
you know, bad weather. Cancer shouldn't exist. Cancer is a byproduct of the fall. Not because I'm not saying, oh, you sin so you get cancer. I'm saying the world is broken so people get cancer, right? It's not supposed to be that way. The world is broken so people get depressed. The world is broken so people starve. The world is broken so we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. The world is broken so we don't, you know, so we don't, like, live the way we were meant to live. And this chaos that we live in is something that God is in control of. Like, Jesus is in command of these things. And he is in command in such a way that, that like, we literally, we're, we're never actually in danger beyond what he allows. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I sometimes wonder when I face storms if it isn't the case that Jesus allows me to face them so I can trust them in those moments. Right? In fact, I'm willing to bet if they ended up in another situation like this where Jesus is napping in the bow of the boat and there's another storm, they might say, all right, well, let's not wake him up this time. Let's just assume we'll be all right. Because they were. They were always going to be all right, but they didn't trust him because they didn't know him. They didn't know that they wouldn't drown. Um, and we face things like that. Anybody else in that boat sometimes? You know, where you, you sit there and you look around and you think, oh, my gosh, this could not get any worse. And, wow, in the end, he delivers us. Um, my application for this, like, what do you do with all of this? Well, for starters, when we face moments of fear, we face times of, of terror, like when we don't know what to do and we're, we're tempted to not trust him or to think he's going to let us go, like, it's important to back up and ground ourselves in that reality. Like, God is in control. Um, what is it? Jesus said that, uh, I think it was in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that God watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from your head without the will of God in heaven, right? Like, some of us kind of get cheated on that deal. And I, Mark, um, <laughs> I, was, I was looking for Brooke. I didn't have Brooke to pick on. Um, but, but it's a reality. If God watches over us in that way, sometimes, you know, like we... We need to back up and accept God is in control. Does that mean we let go? No. I think that the disciples still had to run the boat, right? They still had to do the work. But the reality is that God was in control, and he was going to get them through it no matter what. Um, One of the things that blew me away about um, visiting all these sites, like we went to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, right? And it's like the last exposed piece of the original retaining wall from the temple. And there are all these people who walk up and down there, you know, like it's this thing, like the, the, the Jewish folks, they go there and they pray and they write down prayers and they put them in the wall because it's the closest they can get to bringing prayers to the temple. And it's kind of a powerful image. I mean, standing there and watching it and taking it in was, was really powerful. Um, but the thing that struck me as I'm watching these guys and they're like very dedicated prayer is that there were sparrows nesting in the wall all over. And all I could think about was when Jesus said, look, you know, consider the sparrows. They neither sow nor reap, yet your heavenly father takes care of their needs, right? Um, like we worry sometimes so much, um, but God continues to feed sparrows. Like we, we worry so much, but God continues to clothe flowers. Like we worry so much, but we assume that God will take care of little things, but not us. Um, and when we face moments of trial, we face storms, you know, back up and accept it. God's in control. He has not abandoned you. He didn't send his son to die for you to let you drown, right? I mean, there's the possibility you might drown because people do still drown, right? Um, but if that happens, then you can back up and say, well, you know, what? maybe God let that happen for a reason. And maybe I just need to, like, like pursue him and understand it. That's an awful answer, isn't it? 
I don't mean to give an awful answer, but like, like it's a reality. We can trust this person. We can trust Jesus. We can trust him um, over and over again. Well, what does all this have to do with Sabbath since this is where I started? Um, I am bad at taking days off. Am I the only one in the room like this? Quick show of hands. How many of y'all are good at taking days off? Less than half of you. Um, when I take days off, part of what drove me nuts when I was out of the country was I was sitting there and thinking, I hope this person's doing okay. I haven't talked to this person in a week. I wonder if they're all right. I really wish I could call so-and-so because I really wish I could help out. I you know, heard about somebody, oh, this person's struggling. Man, I wish I could go sit down and have a cup of coffee with them. Oh, how do I, you know, and it, it drove me nuts after a little while. And I, I hit this point actually sitting on a boat in Galilee realizing that, you know what, like, they're God's people. I'm not going to rescue them, right? God can be in control. In fact, actually, Jesus took a nap in the storm because he knew God was protecting him. He knew God was in control. And sometimes rest, like the biggest obstacle to rest is the assumption that if I don't do it right now, it'll never get done, right? Or the guilt we feel when we don't work. You're like, oh, I owe it. I got to go. I mean, God designed us to stop and rest and enjoy. Um, Sometimes we enjoy things in the middle of a storm, but it is acceptable to stop and rest. It is acceptable to take breaks and to trust God's in control. You know, it, it may look hard. It may look difficult. But, like, God can run the show. Now, there are exceptions to this, of course. Like, I, there's this great story from the intertestamental period where, like, the, the um, Jewish people are fighting against the Greeks. And Greeks have this great big army. And they attack on the Sabbath. And, like, like there's a group of Jewish folks that are like, well, it's the Sabbath, so we're not going to fight back. And they all got killed. Like, and they, the, the leaders of the Jewish army gathered up and they're like, okay, guys, let's not do that again. Like, from here on out, we can fight on the Sabbath, right? Like, that's okay. Um, but the reality is that, like, like, rest is acceptable. Rest is important because rest is making the world sacred to spend time with God, right? I, uh, one of the things that blew me away, you'd go to these sites where, you know, this is where Jesus fed 5,000 people, and there'd be a huge church there. And you think, man, I really wish I could see this place without the church. Um, but that was their attempt to make that spot sacred, right? But as believers, part of what we do is we make time sacred. We make space sacred. We make time we spend with God and with our family and worshiping and so forth. Like we make that time sacred um, by spending it with him, by setting it apart, by resting, by being separate. Um, and my challenge for you all this week is, first off, is to honor like the realization that God's in control. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. You're redeemed. You belong to him. There is nothing in this world that can kill you or wipe you out. Um, and he is in control. Um, and he's in control enough that you can rest and stop and back up and let him be in control, right? I, uh, I sometimes let the kids drive my car. And I know that's not a big deal for you people because, like, Montanans let their kids drive at, like, five years old. Um, but where I'm from, we don't do that. And so, like, I'll let Abby sit in my lap and we'll drive down the road. And I've got the gas and the brake. And I cannot seem to not take the wheel away from her. Right? I can't seem to let, just let her steer. And it's straight. You know, but I can't seem to not let her do it. Um, but the reality is that, like, 
like, you know, as long as she's steering, I'm right there, and I'm keeping her safe, and I'm keeping an eye on her. Same as the case with us and, and Jesus, honestly. We are in the car, we're steering, but he's right there. You know, and, and he might let us go into the ditch for a little while, but we're going to get out of it because he is right there. Um, we're going to close in prayer. That's that's kind of what I came up with this week. I I, uh, I really want to encourage you all, like, like, you know, in this period, especially this period, because this, you know, what is it, January to, it was about May is when you start pulling cows out, um, or birthing, birthing baby cows, you know. This is kind of, kind of the Sabbath around here, right? This is rest. Like, my encouragement for you is to take time to rest and to enjoy God's presence and to, to back up and, and let him be in control. Um, this is the time we get to do that. I'm going to close in prayer, and we will let you all go for this week. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would um, help us to trust you, help us to rest in you, help us to, to turn to you and know that, you know, with the storms that kick up out of nowhere, that, that um, they may seem like the end of the world, but that you're in control. Um, Lord God, that, that um, sometimes they're there just to teach us, sometimes they're there to test us, sometimes they're there for us just to weather. Um, but Lord God, I pray that you would give us peace in it. Um, and over and over and over again, help us to rest trusting that you're in control of the chaos, that you have command over the, over the broken parts of the world, um, that sickness and, and money problems and, and depression, that all of it, Lord, that you're in control of it. In Jesus' name, amen.